can open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 8, if you're going to stay with us. Daniel chapter 8, quite a bit to cover this morning by the grace of God. Uh, two quick announcements as the kids are moving to their classrooms. I have the heater going over here, and I, I hope that you guys can feel it. I, I was also hoping it'd be a welcome addition <laughs> this morning, but I do have the, uh, the remote here. If it gets a little too hot, I just maybe you can get my attention somehow and I'll shut that off, but just be mindful. I, I thought it would help this morning. It was chilly, hey? I woke up and it said zero, so I thought, yeah, we better be ready for that. All right, Daniel 8, and we're going to start off in verse number 13. And um, let me kind of introduce this lesson with something a little different. You folks like to learn, yeah? Me too, me too. I heard uh, Dr. Ruckman tell us years ago, he's 80 years old when he said it. He said, gentlemen, he'd already been teaching in a Bible school for 50 years. He said, I never want to become a teacher of the Bible. I want to remain a student of the Bible. And, and you understand what, what he means by that. Of course, he's standing to teach, but you always want to be ready to learn. Have you guys ever, have you, have you ever had your phone in your hand and then start looking for your phone? Have you ever done that? Like, man, where did I put my phone? Where is it? Oh, oh, and it's right there. Those of you that wear glasses, have you ever gone looking for your glasses only to realize you're wearing your glasses? I mean, it's, it's a rough morning when that happens, but I've done that a few times. Like, oh, man, because my vision's a little blurry. Because sometimes you wake up and your eyes just aren't, you know, just ready to see things. And I'm, where's my glasses? Oh, there they are. Okay, I had one of those moments this week with the Bible where there are sometimes you're looking at something for so long. I've been looking at this particular passage for over 20 years, and I'm looking for some deep truth in it. And, and, I, and I think, may, and I told you last week, some strange things I tried to explain. And I, I still think there might be some truth to it. But as I'm looking way out into the distance, and I'm looking deep into something, I somehow managed to miss what was right there in front of my face. And I'm always happy to learn. So this morning... I don't really need to backtrack so much and, and reteach or unteach anything, but I believe we were talking last week about how the Antichrist and the devil, they merge. True. Biblical truth. Satan will inhabit the body of the Antichrist. Biblical truth. Biblical truth that the, the devil, with a, his tail, brings a third of the stars, which are angels, down to the ground. This is true. Biblical fact. But then in Daniel 8 and verse 10, we talked about how the Antichrist will stamp upon them. And, and the more I looked at that and considered what we had covered last week, I said, Lord, please show me. Because I told you guys, that was a biblically educated guess. And, and then, bam, as I'm going through it, the Lord just kind of said, this is how that should line up. So we'll find our way to those facts as we go through, but just wanted to kind of let you know that we are going to hit that in just a moment. And, and I'm, happy, I'm happy to tell you at certain times, hey, what I said last time, that may not be the primary focus. This should be it. So happy to learn anytime when the Lord wants to show me something. Daniel 8 and 13. This is the end now of the vision. Remember, he is still explaining the vision that he saw. And verse 13 is the last part of it. Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake. Now the word saint, you, you can also even translate it as holy one, but it's a way to refer to angels. And in the book of Daniel, angels are referred to in various ways. They're called watchers, they're called holy ones, in this place they're called saints. All right, so he hears these two angels speaking, and the one saint 
saint says to the other, how long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden under foot? Verse 14 is the answer. He said unto me, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. All right, so lots to unpack in there. Let's talk piece by piece. In verse 13, how long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice? Now you can see in verse number 12, and host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression. So the Antichrist is going to transgress. He's going to overstep some boundaries. That's what transgression is, when you overstep a boundary. And in so doing, he is going to make the sanctuary desolate. This is the holy place. This is where God would manifest his presence. But by doing something he ought not do there, he evacuates any chance of God's presence being there. So let me show you a few verses about God's presence leaving the sanctuary, leaving the temple. Let's come back to Daniel, or, uh, Daniel, uh, Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah chapter 7. Anytime the holy place or the temple gets defiled, God's presence will not be found there. So I'll give you an Old Testament example, and then we'll show you some stuff in the New Testament prophetically. Jeremiah 7, and let's begin reading at verse number 8. Jeremiah 7 and verse 8. The Bible says here, Behold, ye trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will ye steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom ye know not, and come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations? That's a very pointed message. You, you think I saved you and gave you this temple so that you could do all these naughty things and then come and say, well, we're God's people. So that's not how this works. In verse uh, 11, is this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? Does that sound like Jesus? You guys remember Jesus quoting this? You've made it a den of thieves? There, he's alluding to this. Is this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. But go ye now unto my place which was in Shiloh. Now you've got to know your Old Testament pretty well there, but that was where the house of God was temporarily set up. The tabernacle was there before Solomon built the permanent uh, temple. This is early on in Judges and in 1 Samuel. In verse 12, go now unto my place which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people Israel. And now because ye have done all these works, saith the Lord, and I spake unto you, rising up early and speaking, but ye heard not. And I called you, but ye answered not. Therefore will I do unto this house, which is called by my name, wherein ye trust, and unto the place which I gave to you and to your fathers, as I have done to Shiloh. So they had defiled that tabernacle. And God just removed his presence from it. And then eventually the temple was built. For a while, God did manifest his presence there. But after enough time, they brought in idols. They brought in all this other, verse 9, stealing, murdering, adultery. God said, I am not going to continue to manifest my presence amongst this kind of behavior. And God's presence was gone. And that's when Nebuchadnezzar comes in and wipes out the temple and burns it to the ground. Now, as, as in due time, the book of Ezra, the temple gets rebuilt. In the book of Haggai, we read where God said, I will manifest my presence again. And he did for a while. But come to Matthew 23. 
Now, we know in the life of Jesus, I just referred to it a moment ago, he had to run out the money changers. They had made the temple back into a den of robbers. Matthew 23, verse 38. Jesus has just given a scathing rebuke to the Pharisees and scribes. And in verse 38, he says, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Desolate means devoid of inhabitants, devoid of warmth, comfort, devoid of hope. The place has been deserted. When Jesus died, shortly thereafter, do you guys remember that the veil of the temple was rent in twain? From the top to the bottom. The Bible's careful to tell you from top to bottom. That veil, that curtain, was as thick as my hand is across. You understand? It's, it's not a skinny curtain like we have here. Thick, that thing was thick, for a handbreadth thick. You can't rip that, even from the bottom to the top. But it was ripped from the top to the bottom. That thing was lekertol. And what that, what that was showing the Jews is when he r ripped the veil of the temple from top to bottom, that was God saying, you can look in here into this most holy place all you want. I'm not in there. In the Old Testament, they said, if you look on my, on my manifested presence, you would die. It was, it was just too, too holy for any man. He couldn't stand it. Now God's saying, you can look in here all you want. It's desolate. It's empty. So God removed his presence, and just a couple decades later, he removed the temple altogether. Knocked down in 70 AD. Turn to Matthew 24 now, verse number 15. One day in the very near future, the temple will be rebuilt. Now, I'm not sure, folks. Prophetically speaking, it is a certainty the temple will be rebuilt. Is it going to be rebuilt before the rapture or after the rapture? I don't know. It could be either way. I'm not sure. The Bible doesn't really give us the, the fine detail on that point, but it will be there. It will stand again. Somebody told me just this week that they've signed some sort of declaration saying that they're moving ahead with that project. Now, I haven't confirmed that, but somebody told me something that they saw it on the news or something like that. So, hey, praise the Lord. Buckle your seatbelt. Here we go. Amen. <laughs> if you hear a trumpet, I'm just saying jump and get the rapture started. Eh? Matthew 24 They'd asked Jesus about the end of the world and the signs of his coming. And in the middle of that answer, he says in verse 15, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation. So, so the Antichrist is going to bring something into the temple that is an abomination. And by bringing that abomination into the temple, into the most holy place, he will make that place desolate. This is him transgressing. He's way overstepping his bounds. He has no business going into that temple, number one. But number two, he's going to walk in and say, I am God. And, and convince the world that he is, he is manifesting his presence as this God to the people. That's the abomination of desolation spoken of, Jesus said, by Daniel the prophet. That's what we're studying. Stand in the holy place. He says, when you see that, whoso readeth, let him understand. So you need to study this deep. Verse 16, then let him which be in Judea, or them rather, which be in Judea, flee into the mountains. Run. Run. Why? Well, what's going to happen? Come to Revelation chapter 11. So the Antichrist manifests himself as God in the flesh, claims to be God. He does it in the temple. I believe shortly thereafter, the false prophet is going to command the world to build an image to the beast, an idol, if you will. And then he will bring that image to life. We're going to look at the verses a little bit later. 
And I believe that is the actual abomination of desolation that stands in the holy place. Uh, perhaps, I don't know, again, you maybe keep up with the news on this, but artificial intelligence is making great leaps forward. And a lot of people are starting to think that AI is somehow going to be linked to the mark of the beast and the image that comes to life. And must admit, I, it, my curiosity is piqued on that. I, I think that might fit. But Revelation 11, let's get verse 1. Revelation 11 and 1. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood saying, rise, measure the temple of God and the altar and them that, are, that worship therein. So th- there's one verse that proves the, the temple has to be there. Because this is taking place right in the middle of the tribulation time. John, here's a measuring stick. Go measure that temple. Now, why, why measure it? Why measure it? Because we have measurements in the book of Ezekiel for a temple that will stand when Jesus comes back. When Jesus comes back, he's going to rebuild the temple. This temple that will be there for that tribulation time will be knocked down. Because of what the Antichrist does to it, it needs to be wiped out and they need to start over. So the dimensions for the millennial temple, I hope I'm not losing you on that. When Jesus comes back, the temple will be rebuilt properly now. And those measurements are given to us in the book of Ezekiel. So now he says, John... Here's a measuring stick. Go measure that temple. This is the one the Antichrist is going to stick his nose into. What's the point of measuring? That way you can compare the measurements of this temple with the measurements of Ezekiel, and you'll know you're not in the millennial kingdom. The measurements don't match. So verse number two, but the court which is without the temple, leave out. Don't, Don't measure. Measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot 40 and two months that's 1260 days now the gentiles led by the antichrist they will take control of the temple mount of the temple and of the court that's the out you know like the parking lot if you will and they will tread it underfoot it will be given to them to control now come back to daniel chapter 8 let's see how we plug all this in So the Gentiles are going to be treading it underfoot. Let's see how this works. With Look at verse 10 again. This is where I've, like I said, I think the Lord kind of filled in some gaps here in my understanding of it. Verse 10, it waxed great, even to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. So I told you last week, that, that host and those stars, those are the angels that fall. And I still think there might be truth to that. But in the passage, letting the Bible interpret itself, at the end of verse 13, to, to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot. That's what we read in Revelation. I think what's happening here, in verse 10, he saw this in a vision. And it, what is the vision interpreted? The sanctuary and the host. The people that are gathered at the sanctuary, the Antichrist is going to trample them. So these people that were coming to the temple to to worship God, once the Antichrist goes in and says, I'm God, worship me. Well, then these other people say, whoa, no, no, no. Even the Jews will realize, we we can't, you're, you're bringing an idol into the temple, we can't do that. That's when the Antichrist begins to attack them and trample them. Now, just for the sake of continuity, come down to verse 24. I want you to see how all this ties together. 
and his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. Again, I told you last week, that's the Antichrist filled with Satan there. And he shall destroy wonderfully. We'll talk more later about that. And shall prosper in practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy what? Their people. Their people. And, And what he's doing in verse 24, the angel is explaining to Daniel what Daniel saw in the vision. So this is where the Bible interprets itself. Now that seems pretty obvious, and I must admit this is where in the middle of the week when I was studying this, I had one of these moments and went, how did I not see that connection? Do you know sometimes you can be reading the Bible and it will have one primary application that's right there on the surface, but then there's a deeper truth kind of underneath. This is what we call the milk of the word, and then there's the meat of the word, right? So I, I don't think that... I. Let me say what I told you last week about stars falling and perhaps the Antichrist trampling on the fallen angel. Maybe there's something to that. I I can't really say that's a wrong thing, but I don't think that's what Daniel 8 is directly saying. I think when we're reading about stars and hosts being cast to the ground, that was in the vision, that's how they were communicating the message of the Antichrist uh, taking down some of these Jewish heroes and some of these Christian heroes that will exist in the tribulation time. All right, so let's come back to verse 13. Uh, Hopefully that makes a little more sense now. So he says, how long concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? When does that start? Right in the middle of those seven years. You saw in Revelation, he gets 42 months. So from the time he takes away the daily sacrifice, once the Antichrist goes in and says, I'm God, the Jews no longer get to bring a daily sacrifice to that temple. It starts there. And then he says, how long will this happen? Verse 14, he said unto me, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. All right, so now maybe we're scratching our head again. Because in Revelation, it said he had 1,260 days. This says 2,300 days. So that's not the same thing. All right, so how do we deal with the math here? We just do the simple math, 2300 minus 1260 leaves you with 1,040 days, which is uh, just about three years. All right, so forgive me, I don't have a a timeline I can draw this on or a computer screen to put a slide on or anything, so just follow me like this. You have seven years. All right, chop it in half, three and a half. That's, That's 1,260 days. Right in the middle, when the Antichrist comes in, I'm God, daily sacrifice is gone. He begins to trample underfoot the sanctuary and the host of the sanctuary, okay? Anybody worshiping there. They are now run out. That will go on for three and a half years. Then Jesus comes back. But once Jesus comes back, that temple that was standing gets knocked down. Battle of Armageddon, Jerusalem, there's earthquakes all over. That temple's destroyed. It is not immediately rebuilt. You need time to get all the rubble cleared away. You need time to rebuild the new temple, temple, and then you need time to properly cleanse it, sanctify it, make it sacred, and begin to use it. So you have the 1,260 days plus 1,040 days. That's how long it's going to take to get that temple rebuilt and the sanctuary cleansed. So understand when he asked in verse 13, how long shall the sacrifice be gone and the, daily, uh, the transgression of desolation? How long will the sanctuary be trodden? The other angel doesn't answer the question directly. 
he, he, he answers, how long is it going to take until the sanctuary gets cleansed? All right, so I know I'm getting a bit deep. I just don't want you to get lost in the days of all of this. That's what the plan would be. So let me show you another verse that goes with this. Come to Ezekiel chapter 39. Ezekiel chapter 39. After the battle of Armageddon, the things that you read in this chapter are going to take place. In Ezekiel 39... Let's begin reading at verse number 8. It says, Behold, it is come, and it is done, saith the Lord God. This is the day whereof I have spoken. And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and the arrows, and the hand staves and the spears, and they shall burn them with fire for how long? Seven, it takes seven years to gather up all the rubble the debris, the leftover weapons that the Antichrist and his army brought into that area. You see how it's not an immediate project to just, okay, Jesus is back, boom, and the next temple stands. It's not that fast. It takes time. All right, so they're cleansing. Now watch verse 10. They, so that they shall take no wood out of the field, neither cut down any out of the forest, for they shall burn the weapons with fire, and they shall spoil those that spoiled them, and rob those that robbed them, saith the Lord God. It's because the Antichrist... And his soldiers are gone, and they've left their possessions, so they're taking them now as their own and using them as firewood. Verse 11, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog a place there of graves in Israel, the valley of the passengers of, on the east of the sea. And it shall stop the noses of the passengers, and there shall they bury Gog and all his multitude, and they shall call it the valley of Haman Gog. So this, this is a, it smells horribly. You can imagine there's hundreds of thousands of dead bodies laying around again it's not an immediate cleanup project it takes time verse 12 and seven months shall the house of israel be burying of them that they may cleanse the land what are we dealing with in daniel the angel answered right the question was how long is it going to be trodden underfoot the answer is it's going to take this long to cleanse it so you see it takes time it's going to take seven months just to cleanse the land that, guys, that's a massive cleanup project. All right, so I'm just giving you this verse, and you can continue to read on down if you want, but for the, for the sake of our lesson, I think you've seen enough there. Come back to Daniel chapter 8. So it's going to take some time after Jesus comes back to get the land cleansed, get the temple built, sanctify it, and start using it properly again. Um, now, if we can, I, forgive me, I, I really hope this doesn't throw you for a loop, but Daniel 8 gets used in some strange ways. This is actually where the Seventh-day Adventist church got started. It's out of this passage right here. This, is, this was the key prophecy or prophetical teaching that started that entire movement. There was a Baptist preacher named William Miller, and he studied this passage, and he said, I think I have figured out when Jesus is coming back. And he began to put all the math together. So what he did is he took the 2300 days that you read about here and he said in in Daniel each day stands for a year. Now when we get to Daniel 9 you're going to see there's actually biblical truth to that. There's there's a precedent for that in the Bible. We'll cover that. But he said each day actually equals a year. So when it says 2300 days that's actually 2300 years. Then there's another verse in Daniel that talks about when when Nehemiah begins to rebuild the temple, you start counting from there. So William Miller said, okay, 
That was 457 BC when Nehemiah started. And he put the years on, 2300 years. That brings you to the year 1844, if you do the math, or 1843. He, William Miller said, I, I, might, I don't know how to count the year zero. Because you go from 457 BC, then you got to get to the year 0 AD, and then forward 800, uh, 1843 or 44 years. So he said, depending on how you count the year 0, it could be either one. And then he got it down to a particular day. There was a day in March, 1843. said, so Jesus is coming back. That's when the sanctuary is going to be cleansed. So hundreds and thousands of people started preparing for Jesus to come back. He didn't. The next thing you know, he says, ooh, okay, sorry, my bad. Let's push it out six more months. I, I, I missed something in there. He's coming back in September, 1844, and then that didn't happen. This is termed in history the great disappointment within, within that movement. Now, I'm not going to give you all the history to it, but as the story unfolds, the group begins to dissipate. People realize, okay, this Miller didn't understand that prophecy correctly. Jesus did not come back. And eventually, from this, the Seventh-day Adventist movement gets started because they begin to re-explain the entire passage. They said this, Jesus didn't come back, that's true, but Jesus moved from the holy place to the most holy place up in heaven. And when he moved into the most holy place, which nobody saw, and there's no evidence in the Bible of that happening, then he began what's called an investigative judgment. And now he is looking into everybody's records to see who is worthy to eventually enter into his kingdom and whoever's keeping the Sabbath becomes part of that group and, 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 and. There's a long story behind that. I'm just bringing to your attention that that's how this passage has been used. If you ever do get into a discussion, at least you will have a little bit of background. I've heard that story. Guys, the evidence that it's wrong is that Jesus didn't come back. The sanctuary is not cleansed. That... The idea of saying, well, no, no, Jesus moved from one room of heaven to another room in heaven, that's, it's just not in the passage. All right, so let's leave that aside. Let's keep going here. Verse number four, uh, 15. Verse number 15. It says, And it came to pass, when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought for the meaning, then beheld there stood before me as the appearance of a man. All right, angels appear as men. They look just like men. Ladies, I'm sorry. There are no female angels in the Bible that we know of, right? That n none are mentioned, so it's just us, us men. Um, I don't know what to make of that, all right? I, I don't know what to make of that. And no what? No baby angels? Yeah, there are. Yeah. We, we call them cherubs, right? We, we hold a little baby. So, oh, look at the precious little cherub. Cherubs are a completely different thing altogether. Cherubs in the Bible, you know, they have four faces, and wings and eyes all over their wings. So when you're calling that little baby a cherub, I'm not sure you know what you're saying. <laughs> that's a, you little freak. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a whole other thing. I, I'd like to, in the midst of all of this deep prophetical looking through the glass darkly stuff this morning, can I, can I give you something practical in verse 15? It came to pass when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought for the meaning. If I can give you one practical thought this morning, guys, seek for the meaning. If you don't understand what it means, that's because these are the words of God. Some of this stuff requires some digging, some studying, some prayers, 20 years of looking at it, looking at it going, oh, there it is right in front of me. 
that's going to happen. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It is not so simple as to walk up and go, oh, th- this book is not a book written by mere men. Yes, it was a man's hand holding the pen, but you understand, led and moved by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, without the Holy Spirit's help, you're not going to get it. And the Holy Spirit requires that you dig, right? In the book of Acts, we read where Paul would go to a synagogue, and these are lost people now. He complimented the Bereans. He said, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. So the biblical admonition is search the scriptures. Search the scriptures. Come to Proverbs chapter 2. When Brother Welder was with us, he took you through this passage, but we'll take a quick look at it again. Proverbs chapter 2. Let's begin reading in verse 1. Daniel sought for the meaning. And he had to have some help. He had to have some divine help come in and show him what that vision meant. Proverbs 2 verse 1, my son. Now this is Solomon speaking to his son, but it works perfectly well. God speaking to his child. Amen. So if you're saved, he's speaking to you here. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. You see, you have to be willing to apply what you learn. If you're reading it just to learn it, to keep it in your head, but not to do it, I seriously doubt God's going to show you much. But if you approach this book and say, God, I am willing to change and to do whatever it is you show me, that's the guy that God's going to reveal things to. In verse number three, yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest, liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for what? What what kind of treasures? Hid treasures. It's not laying right there on the surface. You're going to have to dig a little bit. I've told people for years, it would be a a fun little project. If I told you that I buried 10 million rand in a canister somewhere on the plot, half of you would be here tomorrow with shovels. (laughs) Man, that's that's worth digging for. And we'd have have holes all over this place, people looking for that 10, 10 million canister. God has hid stuff throughout the Bible. And, and it's waiting for those that are willing to seek for it. Right Now, if you go out seeking and searching, verse 5, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You want to get to know Him better? Seek for the meaning. All right, come back to Daniel 8. So just a little bit of practical thinking there. Then <clears throat> verse 16, Daniel says, And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uli, Remember, that's the river down there near the Persian Gulf, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. Gabriel, as far as we can tell, he is the angel in charge of messages messages in the Bible, delivering a message. Michael is called the archangel. It appears that he is over the host of heaven for, for battle, right? When we read about Michael, there's usually a battle, military type of of action being taken. But when there's a message to be delivered, it's often Gabriel that shows up to deliver that message. Verse 17, so he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was afraid and fell upon my face. Amen. I'd be right there with you, Daniel. Um, And he says in verse 17, 
But he said unto me, understand, O son of man, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. All right, so he says, uh, Daniel, I can appreciate, you know, you being a bit timid and trepid and, and scared, but, but I'm here to teach you. So, so you can stand and just listen carefully. What you're, what you're learning about here doesn't apply right this moment, but it's way out there in the future. Now he's going to break it down even further. Verse 18, now as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep on my face toward the ground. Now, don't, don't think that Daniel's backslidden or not paying attention, you know, and taking a nap in church. <laughs> He's not doing that, okay? You know what it is? This, the spiritual intensity of this wore him out. And if you've ever had a spiritually intense, especially if it's prolonged, if you're having some intense intimate time with the Lord, it physically takes a toll on you. And uh, preachers have, to, you know, amongst preachers, we talk about this often. When I get home Sunday night, because I've taught Sunday school and then a main service and then Bible school at night, Sunday night I am wiped out. But you think, but pastor, you haven't done anything. You've just stood and talked. Now I know running my mouth looks like a lot of work, <laughs> especially when I move my hands and get all that going. But there's some spiritual stuff going on as well. And it just takes it out of you. And I think that's what's happened to Daniel. The spiritual intensity just, just got to him. He says, and I was in a deep sleep on my face toward the ground, but he touched me and set me upright. Maybe think of this as handing him a spiritual Red Bull. <laughs> Daniel, uh, have, have you a cup of coffee and pay attention now because we're going to get deep here. Verse 19, and he said, behold, I will make thee know what shall be in the last end of the indignation for at the time appointed the end shall be. So God has a schedule that he's working on and the angel's telling him we're focusing on the very end, not right now, not Babylon, not Persia, but all the way out. Verse 20, the ram which thou sawest having two horns are the kings of Media and Persia. This we've already talked about. And the rough goat is the goat of Grisha and the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. We've already explained this. That's Alexander the Great. Verse 22, now that being broken, whereas four stood up for it, Four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. We've already talked about the history of this. After Alexander is, uh, after he dies at a young age, 33, his kingdom is divided between four generals and never is the kingdom of Greece as strong as it was as in the time of Alexander. Verse 23, now the, the narrative jumps way out. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full... Right? Jesus said in Matthew 24, iniquity shall abound and the love of many shall wax cold. Do you guys remember that? Matthew 24? That's the same thing he's talking about. When the transgressors are come to the full, now we're reading about this Antichrist coming up. A king of fierce countenance. Right? He's a king. So notice that the Antichrist starts off as a political figure. He doesn't start off as a religious figure. He starts off in politics and moves his way into religion to manipulate politics, but he's a king, a king of fierce countenance. This is, he has an explosive temper. He's volatile. He's violent. He's very aggressive. Okay. King of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences. That is to say, he's incredibly smart. He's crafty. He, um, he can figure out riddles and those deep answers to hidden mysteries for centuries. You know, how do you explain this? And how did that happen? He will have answers for those things. It says in verse 23, he shall stand up. Verse 24, and his power shall be mighty, 
but not by his own power. Now this we've spoken of uh, plenty already. The devil has now inhabited this man's body. And he shall destroy wonderfully. I right, come to Revelation chapter, three, uh, chapter 13, sorry, verse 3. I just want you to see the wording of this here. Revelation 13. Verse 3. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. Now that we've talked about that. That seventh head is the Antichrist. He'll be assassinated. And his deadly wound was healed. Watch how it says it. And all the world, what? Wondered after the beast. They wondered. He shall destroy wonderfully. Now we use the word wonderfully to mean in a great way, kind of like a good thing. But bear in mind, the word wonderfully can actually have a bigger meaning. He'll, he'll do something that is so big that it makes you stand back and wonder, how did he pull that off? How is he doing this? How does he know all these things? Where is he getting all this secret wisdom? You know, in Ezekiel 28, where it talks about Satan and how he fell, you have a passage there where he says he's, he's wiser than Daniel and no secret can be hid from him. So this Antichrist is going to be incredibly smart and savvy and strong. Revelation 13, 4, and they worship the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worship the beast saying, who is like unto the beast and who is able to make war with him? Great military power, great intellect. He has Satan indwelling him and they worship him. Why? Because he has claimed to be God. Come back to Daniel 8 now, verse 24. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. So now you've seen it in Revelation. He shall destroy wonderfully. That is, the destruction he brings upon the people of the world is just breathtaking in a bad way. Terrifying and causes people to wonder. Destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and practice. How, how is this? Whatever plans he sets up and puts in motions, they work. And, and they do. He will force the world to take a mark or his number or his name in their forehands or in their, in their right hands, or foreheads or in their right hands. And, and it works. If you don't take that, you can't buy or sell. And now this is a way of saying you're either on my side or against me. And if you're against me, you die. You're cut out. And that's going to work. And that leads to the next thing in the verse, verse 24, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. He wages war on the saints. And in Revelation 13, it tells us exactly that. He begins to trample them under feet. Now, when we get to Daniel 9, Daniel 11, we're actually going to hit this again. So I'm going to save more comment for that time. But get verse 25. And through his policy. Right? A policy is just any course of action. I think this has a lot to do with the image of the beast and the mark and all of that. But all the new laws that he enacts in this tribulation time. Through his policy also, he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. Craft, the, the way this word is used biblically, it is when you're skilled in deceiving. You're a crafty person. The Bible says the devil is subtle. Subtlety has to do with being able to deceive, but you don't, you don't see it right away. He's, he's sneaky like that, and that's how this guy's going to be. Because his policies are going to sound like he's trying to help people. His policies are going to be surrounded by establishing world peace. You'll see it just now. Through his policy also, he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart. 
There he is thinking that he's God. And by peace shall destroy many. How can you destroy by peace? This has actually been going on for a few, thousand, a few hundred, sorry, a few hundred years this happened. When the, when the Catholic Church was in control of most of Europe, even in the days especially of Thomas Aquinas, this became a big thing. They started what was called the Inquisition. And if you did not agree with the doctrines of the Catholic Church, they had every right to arrest you and even to put you to death. And they justified it from the Bible saying we are stamping out heresy because the people that don't agree with us, they are dividing us. And they are causing the world not to have peace. So if we can rid the world of heresy, in their minds, that's anything that doesn't line up with our teachings, then we will have peace. The only people left will be those that agree with us and we'll have peace. And the ultimate fulfillment of that will be during the tribulation. Anybody that doesn't have the mark, that's not following the Antichrist, out you go. So by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes. Obviously, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he shall be broken without hand. Well, in Revelation 19, we read that when Jesus comes back, there's a sword that comes out of his mouth. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 8, the Bible says, Then shall that wicked be revealed, that's Satan in a body, whom the Lord shall destroy with the spirit of his mouth. So literally, he's able to destroy the Antichrist without lifting a finger. <laughs> All he has to do is say it, and bam, that, that sword coming out of his mouth takes care of him. So he shall be broken without hand. In verse 26, And the vision of the evening and the morning which was told is true. It's one of those things where it's, it's so breathtaking and there's so much to it, it's hard to believe. I don't, have you ever experienced that where you read something in the Bible, you go, wow, really? That, that's hard to believe. It, sometimes it's almost too good to be true, but it is. And this is why the angel has to tell him, no, no, listen, Daniel, all of this is going to happen. I know this is a lot of detail and you may think, man, what are the odds of all these things coming to pass the way that I've just said it? It's true. It's all going to happen. And then he says in verse 26, Wherefore, shut thou up the vision, for it shall be for many days. So not everything that he's seen right, how, right then and there is going to happen in his lifetime. Shut it up. Now, all of this gets kind of unraveled and explained when you get the book of Revelation. And as we continue on through Daniel's prophetical section here in chapters 9, 10, 11, you're going to see how it ties into later on in Revelation, God tells John, don't shut this up anymore. Write it down, and that way all these things are now open and revealed, and we know what we're dealing with. But in the time of Daniel, he saw it. He said, I, I still don't understand how all this is going to happen. Don't worry, it's true. Write it down, keep it in the book. We'll explain it as needed as we go. Verse 27, and I, Daniel, fainted and was sick certain days. That's those intense spiritual episodes just wear you out. Afterward, I rose up and did the king's business, and I was astonished at the vision, but none understood it. Oh, I'm so glad he put that in the Bible. I'm so glad we get those kind of verses. Daniel, thank you. I'm right there with you, man. I proved it going from last week to this week, didn't I? I mean, you look at it, you go, I think I get it. And then the next week, oh, now I get it a little different. <laughs> you know what you do when you learn all these things? You say, okay, it's going to happen. I'm not sure when. I'm not quite sure what, what I can do about it. I'm going to go back to work. He just went back to work. But he didn't forget what he'd learned. And he knows what's coming. 
So guys, we do the same thing. What do we do until Jesus comes? Jesus said, occupy till I come. You don't have to quit your job. You don't have to sell all your possessions. You have to be mindful, right? That we are marching towards the kingdom. Jesus is coming. Let's be ready for that. But at the same time, we still have to function in this world, but we function knowing where this world is heading. So we take every opportunity we can to help people understand where this is going and how they can be ready for what's coming. All right. Let's all stand. Father, thank you this morning. Thank you for the comfort of knowing that, Lord, no matter what the devil tries, he shall be broken without hand. And, Lord, one day we know that you will stand victorious, King of kings, Lord of lords. And, Father, we, we admit we don't understand everything we read. It's, it's hard to see through this glass darkly. Continue to show us what we need to know so that while we're here, we can be busy about the Father's business. Please bless the service to come. Continue to minister to us and speak to our hearts. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.